1965, an American pilot, James B. Stockdale, was shot down during the Vietnam War. He spent seven years as a prisoner of war. He was frequently tortured in an attempt to break him and to get him to denounce the U.S. involvement in the war. He was chained for days at a time with his hands above his head. His legs was broken and never reset, resulting in a severe limb. He was held in isolation away from the other American prisoners of war. How could he survive seven years of such treatment? Stockdale said that it was his hope that kept him alive. Hope of one day going home. Hope that each day could be the day of his release. Without hope, he knew that he would die in hopelessness like some others. James Stockdale was kept alive by the hope of returning home. He probably was not very sure that he would be going home. He just held on to the hope and refused to give up. That hope sustained him until his release. If the uncertain hope that James Stockdale held on to has a power to sustain him through his imprisonment, how much greater would be the power of our hope in God, which would definitely come to pass? As we know, today is the first Sunday of Advent. We are focused on Christ, our hope. Christ comes to bring us hope. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our hope, that you come to bring us hope. We thank you that because of what you had done, you take away the penalty of sin from us. And you also has given us the power to resist sin. Even though, Lord, the presence of sin is still with us, we live in a sinful world, and we still have the sinful nature in us. But Lord, we had this hope that when you come again, even the presence of sin will be removed. There will be a new heaven and new earth. And right now, while we are still living here, we experience pain, suffering, struggles. But then, Lord, help us to always turn our eyes to you. That you will help us and also let this hope of your final you know, consummation of your kingdom keep us strong and keep us you know, walking with you and help us also, Lord, to even be able to gain victory over our struggles. Sustain us, also, Lord, with your hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So this morning, we are going to uh, focus on hope. I have uh, singled out three aspects of hope for our you know, um, reflection for this Advent season. The first one is Christ brings us the hope for future glory. Romans 8, 18-21 reads, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation was subjected to futility, and NIV translated it as, is subjected to frustration because of sin. The hope is that the creation will be set free from its bondage to corruption. According to Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 to 18, the ground was cursed and would bring forth thorns and thistles because Adam sinned against God. Christ came to deal with the problem of sin. For those who accepted Jesus as Savior, the penalty of sin is removed, and the effect on the creation is nullified. And the creation has this hope to be set free from its bondage to corruption. And this truth is alluded to in stanza 3 of the carol, Joy to the World. Verse 3 reads, No more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Christ comes to reverse the curse. And in place of that, Christ let the blessings flow. And then while I was preparing this sermon, doing the PowerPoint, and I, I went on the net to want to copy and paste the lyric, you know, lazy to write, uh, copy and paste. Then I discover that stanza three of Joy to the World is omitted in the contemporary rendition of this carol. In the end, I had to search for the hymn, you know, then I got the verse three. I don't know the reason why. Maybe because they think that this is too theological, too churchy, I'm not sure. I don't know why they just omitted this verse. In fact, I would think the best verse in this carol, Joy to the World, is stanza 3, is verse 3. It's such a pity that the stanza with such truth is omitted. So this Christmas, if you hear Joy to the World being played or sung, in case, you know, the verse stanza 3 is omitted, Put it back yourself, because I think that is really the heart of this carol. Christ makes his blessings flow as far as a curse is found. That 
is a cause for rejoicing. That is the reason for the world to joy to rejoice. There is a joy to the world. Let's continue on to verse uh, Romans eight twenty two to twenty five. It says, "For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves." who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it in patience. So not only the creation groans and longs to be set free, from his bondage to corruption. We, the children of God, also groans to be set free from our sinful body, that Christ you know, would redeem our body, because as a result of the sin of Adam and Eve, the ground of curse. But that is not only it. The whole creation groans and we also groan because as a result of sin, our relationship with God and our relationship with one another were destroyed. In Genesis 10, uh, uh, chapter 3, we see that after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they went into hiding when they heard God's voice. God came looking for them. Where are you? And that's what Adam said. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. I believe that before Adam and Eve sinned, they often would take a stroll in the garden, you know, in the cool of the evening with God. But when they disobey God, when they sin, the relationship, this relationship of intimacy was destroyed. They felt ashamed. They hid themselves from God. And the trust also had been broken. In the place of it, it's fearful. They say, I was afraid. So they had to hide in themselves. So this relationship of love and trust, intimacy was destroyed. I think the relationship, you know, with one another also was destroyed. Before that, I believe that Adam and Eve loved themselves. They worked together tend, uh, to tend to the garden uh, of Eden. But after they sinned, you see what happened? Instead of loving one another, they're actually pointing finger at one another. They accuse one another. Eve, Adam, you know, told God, you know, the woman whom you gave to me she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And then Eve said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So they're pointing finger at one another. In fact, Adam not only put the blame on Eve, I think indirectly he was blaming God as well. He said, the woman you gave me, you gave me the fruit. And Eve blamed the serpent. So the relationship, the harmony, the trust was destroyed. Praise be to God. Christ comes to reconcile us to God and to one another. We can enjoy a relationship of intimacy, trust, 
love we got and we one another. However, we still stumble because the sinful nature is still in us. Like earlier I prayed, you know, the three P of sins, you know, Jesus comes to do away. Penalty of sin, Jesus has taken it away. The power of sin, Jesus had witchery over it. So in Christ, we will not be helpless. We will not say that, oh, I can't help it, you know. I just can't help myself. I have to reach out to the secret. I have to reach out to the drug. I can't help myself, but I have to behave in this way. We don't have to resign to our weakness because Christ has given us a power. He has broken the power of sin in us. We are no longer slaves to sin. But then the third P, the presence of sin, is still with us. We are still in this uh, sinful body. And because of that, a lot of time we still sin. But praise be to God. We have this hope that Christ will grant us a new body. This uh, glorious body. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 to 21, it also uh, reinforced what we have read in Romans 8. Uh, 22. Here he said, Christ will transform our lowly body, our sinful body, to be like the glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And because of that, we can have victory in Christ. Because of that, we don't have to feel, we don't have to feel insecure. We don't have to be worried about others' opinions of ourselves because our security is in Christ. Like what God declared, you know, that Jesus is his beloved son. He's well pleased with him. God is telling us, you are my child. I'm well pleased with you. And that helped us solve a lot, a lot of problems. Be a lot of problems actually stems from our insecurity, our boastfulness. If you look into that, the root cause is because we're insecure. So we had to boast in order to show that we are better. And we have to also to prove to others that we are fine. We're so concerned about people's opinions of ourselves. But then with this security that Christ has given to us, we are free. We only just Focus on pleasing God. We just need to please God. We don't have to please the other. It really, the whole lot of problems. And what is best is we can look forward to the day that Christ will deliver us from us, from our lowly body, from our sinful body. Now, when we struggle with ourselves, when we are frustrated with our own weaknesses, we can have this hope that Christ will deliver us fully one day. What a hope. The hope of this future glory. And number two, we also have this hope of sharing in the glory of God. Romans 5, 1-2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. NRSV translates as we boast in our hope of sharing the glory. 
the word sharing is actually not in the original language. I guess NRISV is just trying to elaborate, to make it clearer that you know, we will be sharing in the glory of God. So in this short two verses, it actually summarizes what I earlier on I wanted to say. Because of what Jesus had done, we are justified by faith. Now we have peace with God. We are reconciled with God. And even though we are still in our sinful body, we will still stumble, we will still sin. But then we had the grace of God with us. And this grace of God is sufficient for us. Whenever we sin, we can just go to God, receive His forgiveness, and then we can, you know, get up again and move on because of this grace of God. And the third one is uh, what I'm going to focus on. We can rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I think the glory of God is a very familiar phrase that Christians use. We often say the glory of God. And then we also often say we must glorify God. But it's actually not that easy to explain. You know, If I ask you to explain, what do you mean by the glory to, or glory of God? And I actually looked through and really studied exactly what is the glory of God. And I find this definition is one that is very helpful. This definition of the glory of God is it's the beauty that emanates from his character, from all that he is. Wow, I see this definition really helps me to grasp what it means to be the glory of God. The glory of God is actually the beauty that arises from his character from all that he is. When we say we want to glorify God, we are saying that we want to lift out, you know, to be like Jesus, to have the characteristics, you know, of God's personality and characteristics of God himself. So whenever we do that, we reflect the glory of God. We glorify God. I hope this helps to explain in a, in a very short way. If you go and study, I think theologian can give you don't know how many pages, you know, to just explain on the glory of God. I find this definition helps me a lot. So when you hear you say that our hope, that we have the hope of sharing in the glory of God, what does it mean? You look at Psalm 73, 24. We know we often use this expression, and we speak of death as receive unto glory. You know, sometimes we say, oh, so and so is receive unto glory. What do we mean? We actually, it's a very good way of saying that, oh, so and so has died and now returned to the Lord. And this expression is actually come from Psalm 73, verse 74. Here it says, you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. So here in Roman, when you say in Romans chapter five verse two, it says we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It says we rejoice that one day we will share in the glory of God. We will be in God. We will be with God, and we will spend eternity in His presence. So this hope is the hope of being in the presence of the of the Lord forever. And not only that. Because we had this hope, you know, even after we die, we will be in the presence of God. And it gives us this hope of being able to be reunited with our loved ones. We can be reunited with our loved ones. And I remember, you know, the best, so-called the most meaningful Easter that I had 
was soon after my mom passed away. My mom passed away in February, and we were very close. I really, I went into depression. I was so sad, you know, and just couldn't pull myself up. I tell you, that year, the Easter really was so meaningful to me. Because this hope of that one day I will be able to meet my mom in heaven helped me, you know, in my bereavement, in my grieving process. And some years ago, I also got to know the wife of a victim of the Silk Air 185 crash on 19 December 1977. And she told me, said the hope of being reunited with her husband again in heaven enable her to cope with the grief of his death. And he said, and she said, the reason Christ has also seen her through the challenging time of bringing up her two young children as a single mom. Her life is a testimony of the power of the living hope in the living Christ. And not only that, we can, you know, rejoice in suffering. Romans 5, 3 to 5. It says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. And then further on in verse 5, it says, and hope does not put us to shame. NRISV translated as hope does not disappoint us. That's why I uh, entitled my sermon, Hope Never Disappoints. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Please note that here, Paul did not say they rejoice because they are suffering. They, do not they, they did not rejoice because they are suffering. Suffering is not God's original purpose. So they do not rejoice because they are suffering. But rather, they rejoice in the midst of suffering. In the midst of suffering. Because suffering that we know is temporarily. If you compare, like earlier in Romans, the earlier verses, if you compare to the internal glory that we have in God, this suffering will pass. That will not take the pain away, but that grants us the strength you know, to go through it. And know that God is with us. Because the present suffering not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. But then, also precisely because it's the hope. Hope is something in the future. But if we have it now, if we experience it now, we don't need to hope for it. And because of the very nature the hope is in the future, we need to be patient. We need to be patient and then wait for God, wait for us to share in His glory. And what is more amazing than this is that even when we have given up hope, God does not disappoint us. And since this is the Advent and our Christmas season, I choose a so-called Christmas character, Zechariah, as an illustration. In Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to, uh, 5 to 7, because I don't read the whole passage with you, I just lift up the key uh, verses that I want to highlight. In verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah 
of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advancing years. Then one day, when it was Zechariah's turn to serve as priest, the angel Gabriel appeared to him. The angel told, uh, said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Then he went on to describe you know, the mission of John. And then in verse 8, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. I believe Zechariah and Elizabeth would have prayed fervently for the son. They would have waited for years. They waited and waited until they are in the ripe old age. They have probably given up the hope of having a son. When angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah that his prayer had been heard and his wife, Elizabeth, would bear him a son. Zechariah could not believe the good news. His response was, uh, my paraphrase, how can it be my wife and I are too old to have a son? I believe Zechariah had given up the hope of having a son from what we had read. He must have given up the, the hope of having a son so that even when the angel told him that Elizabeth was going to bear him a son, he couldn't believe it. Yet, they continue to walk with God. Both of them, the husband and wife, continue to walk with God. They continue to you know, um, journey with God and trust in God. And Zechariah continued to serve God faithfully as a priest. And surprise to them, a big, big surprise. God granted them a son, even when they had given up the hope of ever having one. So, the message to us is very clear. To know that even when we have given up hope, God will not give up on us. What we need to do is we just need to continue to hold on to him. As long as you continue to serve God, continue to walk with God, who knows? One day, God will just you know, grant us in our desire. So whatever circumstances we may be in, be it a debilitating illness, a broken marriage, a wayward son or daughter, the loss of job, the loss of a loved one, the list can go on. We may have given up hope that we will ever get through it. But remember, continue to what we got. He can see us through. Even when we have given up hope, God can still work as long as we do not turn away from him. This morning, I didn't share this. But I thought, hey, I should mention it. And God not only, you know, will work for us, even while we are going through, while we are waiting, even when we gave up hope, God feels our pain. In Romans 8, 26, he says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us 
we groans that words cannot express. You can take comfort in that. Even when we've given up hope, God has not given up on us. God is still with us. God is not only with us. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. And the Holy Spirit groans along with us. What a comfort you know, to know that. In fact, I think some years ago, I, I couldn't remember how many years ago, I actually had the sermon entitled The Three Groans. The creation groans to be set free from the bondage of corruption. The children of God groans for the adoption as the sons of God and the redemption of the body. And the Holy Spirit groans along with us even as we wait, even as we go through, even as we are in the midst of suffering. What a hope, what a comfort that we have such a loving God, a wonderful God that cares and loves for us. And number three, the hope of receiving the prize. First Corinthians 9, 24, 25 reads, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Advent is the anticipation of the birth of the Christ child in Christmas. And Advent is also the preparation for the second coming of Christ. That's why we had this candle, you know, the purple candle. Your purple is a color of royalty and it is also a color of penance and preparation. It's to remind us not only, you know, like anticipate the coming of the Christ child that we celebrate during Christmas, but we have to pre- prepare ourselves to receive the Christ who will come as a king, as a judge. So we need to ask ourselves, are we engaged in strict training to get a crown that will last forever? Or have we forgotten that our citizenship is in heaven and are busy pursuing our own ambition? Are we living our life in such a way that when the Lord returns, we will hear his commendation of good and faithful servant. Take time to reflect during this event season and examine our lives. And the hope, and this hope of receiving the prize has another implication. I think 1 Corinthians 15 verse 8 puts it very well. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because one day we will meet our Lord, and our Lord will, I think, also assess you know, our work for Him. Salvation, no problem. I think all of us have received the salvation as a free gift by the grace of God. But we also had to give an account to our Lord on how we live our life. And this gives us this motivation also to want to do our very best, you know, knowing that our labor 
in the Lord is not in vain. Whatever we do for God will not be in vain. Let us be faithful in our service for God. I close now with a very quick recap. Christ brings us hope. The hope of future glory where the creation will be set free from the bondage of corruption. There will be no more thistles and thorns. And the children of God will be given a glorious body and there will no more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. And we also have the hope of sharing the glory of God to have this joy of being in the presence of God for eternity. And number three, we have the hope of receiving the prize, the commendation from the Lord if we live our life faithfully and live our life worthy of the calling of the Lord. Now let us spend some time in our personal response and take this time to commit ourselves to the Lord again that we will want to serve Him and we will want to live our life worthy of, our, of His call. Dear Lord, we want to thank you that you are our hope. Let this hope inspire and sustain us in our journey of discipleship. Let this hope see us through the difficult moments and challenges in life. And dear Lord, please also help us to live a life that is worthy of your call and that we will be faithful in our service for you and for his people. And especially during this event season, help us to set aside time for you to speak to us and for us to also examine our life. And then, Lord, you know our desire is that when we meet you, we long to hear this commendation from you that we are good and faithful servant. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now for the hymn uh, response, I have chosen, Great is thy faithfulness. Just remember that our God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, He's still faithful to us. Even when we give up our hope, God has not given God will not give up on us. He will still, you know, fulfill our hope, you know, at the moment that we least expect it. And let's sing this and thank God for his faithfulness. <laughs> 